The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State athletics. This is Wildcat Insider with the voice of the Wildcats, Wyatt Thompson, and KMAN Sports Director, Mitch Fortner. Mitch feeling a bit under the weather, so I get to pull double duty today. Troy Coverdale with you. Happy to be joined by the voice of the Wildcats, Wyatt Thompson. Welcome back from the uh, long, lengthy trip that is the Big 12 tournament in Kansas City. I appreciate that. It's good to be on with you, Troy. I hope Mitch gets to feeling better very, very soon. There's some of that crud still going around, isn't there? His timing is off, though. It was supposed to hit on Thursday, not on Monday of tournament week. (laughs) Yeah, it's... uh, it's better if you get into the NCAA tournament and you're gone Thursday and Friday as opposed to Monday. I, I yep. understand that. Yep, exactly. Yeah. That that being said, that's you know, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to pull. No, I know better. <sighs> what was the buzz around the Big Twelve tournament this year? There are so many things, storylines that we can get into, but sure. of course, the main one for K State is the coaching change and the fact that Bruce Weber's tenure. Comes to an end after a loss in the pigtail game to West Virginia on Wednesday night. Disappointing end to, by all rights, a disappointing season. Yeah, perfectly said. And we were talking off air a moment ago. This was a season where K-State certainly had plenty of chances to play their way in or out of the NCAA tournament. And unfortunately, it, it worked out that they played themselves out. I was just looking at the at the conference Season as an example, and K State had a two and five record in games that were decided by one possession in the mm. conference. And I mean, it, it is even more so when you go back and look at some of those other earlier games. They, right. they won a few, but they lost more uh, really than they won, and by probably a pretty good margin. This game with West Virginia was a 10 point game. But I think it was probably even closer than that for most of the night. I, I, I just I believe that, and I, I thought it was pretty typical, frankly, of both teams for the most part throughout the season, with the exception of the fact that really they made decent amount of shots. Mm-hmm. Both of these teams had at times struggled offensively. But to, to go back and, and answer your question, I, I do think – through the Wednesday game and into the quarterfinals on Thursday, Bruce Weber was the story. Mm-hmm. After that, it was more of what you might think, and that's you know the power teams like Baylor, Kansas, Tech. How will they do? Where will they end up on Selection Sunday? And as we know, we, we found out yesterday and uh, worked out pretty good for the, the top part of the league with, with two number ones and Texas Tech being a three and 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 six teams getting in, and I, I would argue, <laughs> and I, I'm to to be perfectly honest, I'm I'm still trying to comprehend the metrics and the the thought mm-hmm. process because I I think if you really look at some of those kind of things, you could make an awfully strong argument that that Oklahoma belonged belonged in there, but they didn't make it. I would argue, in fact, that not only did Oklahoma deserve to be in there, I'd put them in there over Iowa State. That's my view of it, but again, I'm not on the committee. Yeah. Um, Iowa State has been a paper tiger from my vantage point for much of the conference season. There's something there that the committee has loved, and I haven't figured it out yet. I think what they loved was what they did early in the non-con. 
because they did do quite well. Not only did they beat up on the teams that weren't very good, they wanted Iowa and won convincingly. Yeah. And and that I mean, think about the kind of water that that holds today after the way Iowa finished their season. I mean, to sure. be honest with you, there were and there always are, you know, a handful or maybe a couple of handfuls of team that teams that really, really surge to the finish line through the conference tournament into the big dance. And Iowa is certainly one of them. And, and they, of course, were, were handily in. I think about a team like Texas A&M who didn't have the schedule strength that Iowa had, but boy, were they good late. They mm-hmm. were really good. Davidson. I mean, you could just go on and right. on and on. But it, 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 I do think Oklahoma had a representative schedule. Uh, I, they probably, maybe I'm wrong on this, I've had a couple of text discussions with my son about this, who's been on vacation, and I really do think had they beaten Tech, yeah, I think boom they're in. It's that it's that close. We will talk much more about the Big Twelve field in the NCAA tournament as we go. But to put it back on the coaching change, and and we'll talk about potential candidates in the second hour today as we've also got Brian Smoller coming up next segment to talk about the women being part of the NCAA tournament uh, on their side. But one of the things that, that stood out to me over the announcement period, if you will, was that for many people, it was it was just kind of a resigned fact that we were at this point, that uh, that this was where the coaching change was going to happen. Yeah, I think that's well said. I, I do think that there was a, a section of the fan base that was ready for change. I think we saw that, you know, with with the crowds this year. Mm. Um, I have basically said all year long that I think this team made a lot of strides in getting better from the previous two years, and I still believe that and always will. But it still wasn't what I think everybody had hoped for and or what this team had in front of them potentially to, to be a, a postseason team. I, I think they were, you know, it, it, they had a shot and it just didn't work out. You know, after 10 years, I mean, a lot of people would probably say, hey, that's a, that's a pretty good run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that's, that's absolutely right. I, I respect that too. Um, I think we all understand what kind of guy Bruce Weber is, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 so let's take that off the table. After saying again, he's as good a person as you'll as you'll find, and I think from that perspective, represented Kansas State in an exemplary way. I don't think anybody would argue with that. I would agree, and yeah. and and even to his comments regarding his haircut, yeah, and. <laughs> Those types of things. You know, I, I think back to Marty Schottenheimer had the comment when he left the Chiefs that he felt like that coaches' voices aren't heard after 10 years at that level. Sure. And and we've seen that kind of hold to be true in a lot of ways. And sometimes you wonder about that in a program, uh, even at the collegiate level. If you take Bruce's success at the front of his tenure— and you look here then at the latter part of his tenure, I think what disappoints me the most in looking at it is that he wasn't able to maintain momentum. And that comes down to recruiting when this team, in fact, won the conference title again that yeah. second time. Recruiting, unfortunately, 
didn't go with it. And yeah. and that, to me, is what spells the end for this tenure. I think I would add to that, I think recruiting maybe some of it. I think even more would be player retention. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if everybody would necessarily agree with that, but a lot of people have studied it and looked at it and thought, you know, there were a couple of classes that there was a lot of attrition. And I, I, I think no matter how good you are or who you are, at some point, even with the transfer portal, that catches up with mm-hmm. you at least to some degree, right? And and I do think that th- that was probably pretty legitimate in this case. It's just uh, they, there were so many, you know, there's so much change over you know a, a couple of years there mm-hmm. that it was it was hard to get back on track. I think the guys, and, and I'm talking about the entire staff now, did a pretty good job in the portal this last off season yes. in, in bringing Mark and Ish and and that kind of player Marquise into the fold, and not only bringing them in but getting them to mesh with with the current roster. Um, but again, it is a results based business, and they were definitely better from my perspective. But again, fell short of of the goal, uh, and and that would be an NCAA tournament team. And I, I understand that should be the goal. I, I think we all, not just want to get there, but do something when you get there. That I think everybody's that way. The way I kind of look at it is. You know, you can try to do what Eric Musselman does at Arkansas, but at a point being plug-and-play with the transfer portal does catch up with you. In the case of K-State, they haven't been plug-and-play until this year when they were sure. pressed into having to do that. And it, yeah, you're right. It almost paid off in terms of a tournament appearance, but it could have been an even better year had there been some of that retention from previous years. Yeah, that's probably right. And I you know, I think you could argue this for a long, long time. I, I do think as an example, you could look at a K State and then on the other hand look at tech and say, well, what was the difference? Hmm. What was the difference? Well, for me, I don't know that there was a whole heck of a lot of difference in the returning guys. I mean, K-State had Nigel Pack coming back, Mike McGurl coming back, Selton Miguel. At Texas Tech, you had, what, Marcus Santos Silva, Kevin McCuller, those types of guys. Would mm-hmm. you look at that as a wash? But but my point is, is as good as I think that those three guys were for K-State, and in particular Marquise and Mark, <laughs> I think you'd have to say those four guys that, that Tech got were astronomically rock-solid guys. I mean, they – you use the term plug and play. Those got four of those guys were starters mm-hmm. virtually all year long, and then it was McCuller and you know Terrence Shannon was dinged up a little bit and missed some time. But I mean, you got to give Mark a lot of credit because that it, you're right. It is not easy to plug and play that many guys. A lot of them are doing it, right, and with varied varied amounts of success. It's going to be interesting to watch and see how that plays out in the tournament, but it's also going to be interesting to see longer term. The reason I brought Arkansas up is because that's Musselman's style. We saw that at Nevada, Uh and and he's already started out much the same way at Arkansas. How does that play out in the future? We will see, because honestly, that's the best example of the transfer portal right now in terms of of college basketball is, is... just even trying to get a long-term judgment on it, Arkansas may be the one. Yeah, there are lots and lots of 
examples that we could use. One of the things that I watched over the weekend that I had to even almost chuckle at was the the Duke Vatek game, mm-hmm. where you basically have the Duke win uh, five star whatever, and Virginia Tech basically was chock full of basically transfers, mm-hmm. and in in a lot of cases mid-major transfers to a high-major program. Right, (laughs) right. And those guys knew how to play. They weren't nearly – I've heard Buzz Williams say over the weekend, the coach at A&M, we can't play straight up with this team or that team, (laughs) you know. So my point of the story is is that there are are ways to be good and and be an NCAA tournament team but it isn't. It isn't just a lock. You know, just plug it in and go. There, there's some good fortune. There has to be good coaching. Um, you have to bring players along, and and because hey, man, November to March is a long time. There, oh my! You're gonna have your ups and downs. You know, you just are. I mean, we mentioned Iowa. There was a point where everybody had given up on them. Mm-hmm. Well, not today. Valid. Today's yep. not the day. Yeah, today is not the day. But but then they look <laughs> at Indiana and 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 you know could say sure. the same thing. Absolutely, that, that team right there on the cusp of doing yeah. the same thing yeah. that Iowa did. Just I'm, I may be wrong, but I at one point I think they lost seven in a row, maybe mm-hmm. or something like that. I mean, Indiana doesn't do that normally. No, but but in a but in a year where they're playing in a league that sent nine, uh, <laughs> I guess I can kind of understand it a little bit. I feel bad for my guy Jeff Linder sitting there in Wyoming today. Well, they had a <laughs> yeah, I, I know they had an awfully good season. Yes, uh, and, and and they, they faded. They're fun late. to watch. They they did fade a little bit, but you could certainly make a, a heck of an argument for them to, you know, be a team in there. No, yep. no question about. Well, that. yeah, and again, interesting how that even the the twelve. I mean, I'm not saying they're out. not in, but right because the, I mean they're they're a tournament team, but. But the fade at the end yeah. did hurt them, and and I think as good as they were, what they went twenty four, twenty five games. Yep. I mean, they were in by the the length of your fingernail. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Jeff Jeff was bold in making sure that they had the watch party yesterday. <laughs> yes, he was. You know, I yeah. saw that backfire for Tad Boyle once out at CU. Sure. And yeah. you know, it's. Uh, it's rough when it doesn't work. It's you were a genius when it does. No question. Speaking of watch parties, the K State women got to enjoy one yesterday, knowing that they were likely in to the NCAA field, and they are headed for Raleigh, North Carolina, for the second time this season. Brian Smoller, the voice of the uh, Lady Cats, will join us in our next segment to talk about K State getting set to match up with some famous, uh, some familiar faces when they take on Washington State this week weekend in the NCAA tournament. This is Wildcat Insider. Wildcat Insider continues on News Radio KMAN, Troy Coverdale. Voice of the Wildcats, Wyatt Thompson in the building, working hard to get himself ready for a trip to Raleigh, North Carolina. Joining us via phone, Brian Smoller who will be en route with the K-State women's basketball team as they make the NCAA tournament field and get sent to North Carolina State for the opening weekend. We'll touch on that in a few, but uh, first, Brian, I was telling Wyatt, I broke out laughing when I saw the matchup show up on the TV screen yesterday because of the number of storylines that the committee decided to present with just one game. 
Yeah, as Jeff Mitty said there in the clip that you played, it was a little interesting to see that name pop up. There just hadn't been much talk at all of of Washington State or K-State being on the same seed line or, or playing each other. Um, you know, and I think that's a testament to how Washington State finished the season. Pac-12 had been a little bit light as far as the net ranking and, and power conference ranking, but they beat who they were supposed to this year, Washington State did, and then they really finished strong. They, they won five of the last six, and their only loss was a narrow six-point loss at Stanford, who's who's absolutely red-hot and probably the hottest team in the country. So that probably put them up in a, a higher evaluation. They, they did pick off Arizona during the regular season, got a couple of good wins against Colorado, who's a, a decent team out of the Pac-12. So that got them up a little bit higher. I think most people thought they were going to be a 10 going in, so to see them pop up into an 8 was a little bit higher than, than what most people thought, but it's a good it's a good seed, and obviously the great storylines there for uh, K-State women's basketball historians or fans of the teams that, uh, from a decade ago. One of the things that stands out when you take a look at this Washington State roster, and, I, and I'll help you right up front with the name, Ledger Walker. Uh, you've got the two sisters, Crystal and Charlize. Crystal is a solid point guard, but Charlize is a talent above and beyond uh, that will have to be watched out by K-State. Yeah, no doubt. She's very, very good. And, you know, the two, two, both of them really are, are very good. And I think the thing about that team is that there's just a lot of international flavor across mm-hmm. the board. You know, it's not just those two. Um, you know, Ted Ayer and, and is, a, is a scorer that can provide some in depth on the perimeter, um, and then they've got inside Murakate, uh, Murakatete, who is a, a, a at six three can provide some power and, and some scoring. It averages about eleven a game, and then also about eight rebounds a game. She's from Rwanda, so I mean you've got players from Israel, Australia. You mentioned the New Zealand girls that are on the team, Turkey. It's it's a pretty heavy international flavor for that team, mm-hmm. and as you would expect, there is the three point shot threat across the board, and that'll be something Casey will be mindful of. I would say they're a lot like Iowa State in that regard, but they're not as potent one through five at the three like Iowa State was, but defensively they're very, very good, and that's not a surprise for folks that uh, were around these parts and saw uh, Cammy Etheridge and, and Deb Patterson when they were here at K-State. They really pride themselves on scouting and breaking down a team very, very well. They'll be well-prepared for K-State and with a good uh, mindset of how to defend them. Uh, it, one of the things about it is Crystal still being on that roster makes me really feel old because I remember her freshman year at UNC when Cami first brought her into the program and the noise that was made when she left that program because they were just coming off of a Big Sky championship year and and lost her to Wazoo and so that was disappointing for them. Uh, but you know you you put that international group together and and. Uh, Lori Kane has done a stellar job at helping build those ties, I know, uh, from her spot as associate head coach. Yeah, she really has a lot of interesting ties there, as you said. And I think Washington State academically also had already had a little bit of a tradition of that, mm-hmm. so you kind of play into that. I think that's smart on Cammie Etheridge's part when she got there. The Washington State is a program, for those that don't know, uh, you know, it, it has been a cr- tremendous r- job by Cami Etheridge to build that program up to where it's at because they were, they have never been. They had one year in 91 where they made the tournament, but they didn't win a game. But outside of that, that's it. That's their only feather <laughs> in the cap for postseason. Yeah. They have now made it in back to back years, won 20 games for the first time in school history. They are. 
they are far and away above the best they've ever been here the last two years for a program that's just been a relative doormat in the Pac-12 historically. And uh, credit to Kennedy Etheridge. Uh, I think she went out there. Pullman's not the easiest place to recruit to. And they were able to use the academic side to go get some international recruits, along with uh, Lori's ties, obviously having been playing overseas for a long time, especially in Australia. And they've built it up from there. So she's, uh, it's pretty cool to see it. I know they were just back here in the fall for Lori's K-State Athletics Hall of Fame induction, mm-hmm. so it is somewhat ironic that we get to see them again because it was uh, it was great catching up with them. And Coach Mitty and Coach Patterson, I know, spent a lot of time together talking that night um, that Lori was inducted. So it'll be uh, kind of cool, full circle for this season anyway. Brian, give us a little bit of a, a thought on your thoughts on the ball game with Texas. How K State? I thought K State really competed there, and in in general terms about the, the the tournament as a whole with Texas ending up winning and beating Baylor in the finals. Well, Texas. I mentioned Stanford being the hottest team in the country, and I think that is the case nationally. But certainly in the Big Twelve, the hottest team is Texas, and they have really hit their stride here as they end the season. I think two things about the game with Texas for K-State went against them. One, the tournament to that point had been, and, and for the most part overall, was called pretty loose. Um, mm. and, and it was a physical tournament where people were just allowed to, to play hard and physical. That was not the case in K-State's game. Now, that's the risk you run, right? That's the beauty of basketball. It's the beauty of baseball, that you have the human element that can can dictate a little bit of how the game's going to be called, and then you have to adjust from that. And I don't think the Wildcats adjusted well to the game being called tight. Uh, I think they pressed a little bit too much there and, and got in some foul trouble with some key positions, and that really put them behind it. Now, that all said, to your point, Wyatt, they, they played as composed and with as much fight after that, facing as much adversity as they did, as we've seen them for much of this season, and that is an encouraging sign heading into the NCAA tournament. This was a team that faltered a little bit down the stretch, maybe hit that proverbial freshman wall, but really was just lacking confidence, and it was good to see them get that confidence back and give Texas a run for their money. I mean, consider this. The Longhorns are a team that shoot about 31% behind the arc. They hit 7 of 14 threes against K-State. Never hit that many. I didn't even think they hit seven combined the last two games of the tournament. They also hit 20, what was it, like 25 of 28 free throws against mm. A-State. They shoot 63% as a team. <laughs> yeah. So you take those two things away, and they have to win the game barely over K-State. So, uh, you know, no, you, there's no moral victories, but K-State walked out of there thinking, man, we, Texas had to play really, really well in order to beat K-State, and then they go on and win the whole thing. So I think you feel pretty good about your chances heading into the NCAA tournament. Well, and in fact, I really felt like that they controlled the game against Baylor for the championship much more so even than I felt like they did against K-State. Yeah, they really did. And I think Baylor was a little offset by just how much Texas came at them and attacked them. I think Baylor kind of felt that they had been rolling and with Melissa Smith that they were in, in on their way. But... Boy, Texas is just so Indian defensively, and if it's allowed to be called loose, which is why Vic Schaefer's teams have always succeeded in the NCAA tournament, even when he was at Mississippi State. They play this really frenetic press defense that will trap you on the inbound and then fall back and then try and trap you on the wings. And if you're not ready for it from a guard perspective, it can really derail you. 
And I think we saw that with Baylor a little bit. I thought some frustration set in for Baylor. Melissa Smith got um, Mm -hmm. a little off her game and in some foul trouble, and Texas was able to win it. The trip to Raleigh, North Carolina this week for the Wildcats to be a part of the NCAA tournament. And we already talked about Washington State, but I know that uh, Coach Mitty in his comments yesterday also uh, expressed some surprise at the fact that that was the locale that you're headed back to for uh, the game on Saturday, where the potential of a matchup with North Carolina State already looms in the second round, having already played there this year. Yeah, it's a little surprising. You know, the committee did speak to this a little bit afterwards, and it was not necessarily in reference to K-State, NC State, but in a couple of other matchups where you had some interesting slots as far as teams that were familiar with each other or seedings of which, in, in the case of NC State, they get slept, slapped. In the women's game, there isn't the north, south, east, west regions. It's the it's a city name. Right. And uh, for K-State, they're in the Bridgeport, Connecticut and there was a lot of angst building up into the tournament from fans across the country. UConn, a team that really had not played well throughout the year, mm-hmm. finally getting healthy, would they be rewarded with a two-seed, one, and then two, would they be in the Bridgeport Regional, which they are. It's a significant advantage for them, no doubt. And if you're NC State, a team that is clearly the number two team in the country, now you got to go through UConn's home backyard to get to the... <laughs> Uh, Final Four or to the championship, it just seems tough. Anyway, the point being, in that conversation, they talked about how they really tried to follow the S-curve, which is right the best four with the worst one, and on and on and on. Best one gets the worst four, and you go on down the line, and the only thing you try to avoid in the first round are conference matchups and, and teams that could play that are from the same Big 12 playing in the second round. So, I think they tried to avoid that as much as possible. It just worked out that K-State landed in the bracket they did with NC State. Uh, listen, I, I think there are two things. One, it's a disadvantage because you've already played. You know what NC State's about, and they're, they're really good. Um, however, if I'm NC State, I'm also probably not excited about the fact that i got to play a team that K-State really gave them a pretty good game mm-hmm. for three and a half quarters. Sure and it was, the, it, was the, it was the end of that second half that kind of got away from K-State, the end of the fourth quarter. Otherwise, that's a five-point game with about five minutes to go. And K-State's not going to be intimidated going in there. They know the whole deal. They, they've been there. They've played that team. They know what they're all about. So if I'm NC State, not only am I aggravated a little bit by being in the UConn bracket, so to speak, but now i got to get a team that gave me a pretty good game and has a pretty good player coming back in here again to play us again. So, um, yeah, I would think it works both ways. It cuts both ways in that regard. But the Wildcats, I'm certainly will uh, will have a little bit of advantage having played on that floor before. Let me ask you to put Aoka's season in its proper perspective at this point with NCAA tournament games, game or games, to follow? Well, I, the hard part with Ayoka Lee is this, and Jeff Mitty has said it on and on and on, is that when you have a star center, you're only, it's like having a star running back. They, <laughs> they can only do so much by themselves, right? Mm-hmm. At, right? At the end of the day, you have to have somebody else there to help them out. And with the running back, it's the offensive line, and with the Ayoka Lee, someone's got to get to the ball. And as we saw in the game against Texas, she was near perfect from the field. I mean, she was nearly unstoppable but she only had eight shots. Uh, that's what teams were trying to do. I think they were successful somewhat down the stretch in Big 12 play, really figuring out, okay, well, 
will deny the passing lanes to Ayoka and and really pressure the guards and make them into some bad decisions with this freshman team. Now, I think they've started to grow out of that. But, as to your point, Wyatt, I think Ayoka's 61 still carries a lot of weight. If you watched the selection show yesterday, Rebecca Lobo did a very big segment on Ayoka Lee. They yep. talked, she's listed on ESPN.com today as one of the top 14 players to watch in the tournament. Mm. She's getting a lot of attention. Um, her NIL uh, side continues to grow. <laughs> <laughs> which is good for her. Yeah. Uh, which is good for her, but um, at the end, her her legacy at K-State continues to grow, and, and even though she may end up playing, she's already said she's coming back for next season. She still has two years left if she opts to use them. Right. Um, even if she only played her minimum four years, she will walk out of here with a chance to be the all-time leading scorer, rebounder, block shot holder in the history of K-State, and there are some pretty amazing names at the top of those lists. So if she catch if she catches them, it won't be because uh, some fluke. She deserves every <laughs> bit of, of accolades that's come her way. She is, as Rebecca Lobo said yesterday, she is 100% automatic. If she gets the ball in the in anywhere within three feet of the basket, it's going in. So you, as a defender, and that's why we've seen teams be exceptionally physical with her because they know if she gets the ball, it's a basket. It's their only chance. Pretty much. Yeah. Brian, when do you guys leave for the, uh, for the tournament? The team leaves on Thursday. Now, I'll be, uh, I'm actually doing baseball stuff at the <laughs> moment because I'll be driving up with the baseball team tomorrow to do K-State baseball and, and uh, was able to watch the games this weekend. So excited about that. But we'll fly out Thursday with the band and we'll hit the, the tarmac and get out of here from Manhattan and fly down to Raleigh, and I don't know if Dr. Linton's going with us, the uh, new K-State president. Of course, he just came from NC State. We're mm-hmm. going to try and coax him there and, and make sure he's wearing purple, but uh, hopefully he's on a flight with us, and we'll go down there and watch the Cats and hopefully make a little history. Well, that, it gives you an additional day to enjoy Raleigh that you didn't have earlier in the year, I'm sure. We did explore it pretty well oh, when we really? were down there, but uh, that that means now you kind of know where to go as far as uh, the places to eat. So Someone is well-schooled then. <laughs> All right, Brian, safe uh, travels up to Omaha tomorrow night for the game. We'll look forward to that as well as your trip out uh, to Raleigh and the Cats against Washington State on Saturday. All right, guys, thanks. Brian Smoller, the voice of the Lady Cats, as again they get ready to match up on Saturday with Washington State, an 8-9 matchup. The Cougs are the 8, the Cats are the 9 in that NCAA bracket there. When we continue, we'll take a look at the Big 12 across the NCAA tournament on the men's side as Wildcat Insider continues. Troy Coverdale continuing with Wyatt Thompson on this week's edition of Wildcat Insider. Mitch Fortner under the weather. He's uh, hoping to rejoin the game on Wednesday. Wednesday? Wednesday. Okay. That, that's the official notification I have. <laughs> so we'll keep our fingers crossed. There you go. So uh, I feel sorry for those of you who have to put up with me morning and night, but that's where we are right now. Well, you're a warrior to do that. <laughs> Nicely done. Yeah. Uh, K-State, of course, not a part of the uh, NCAA tournament field. One of four teams from the conference that are on the outside, unfortunately, looking in. Oklahoma 
was the one of the last four out, as Wyatt and I talked about a little bit in the opening segment. They take a top seed into the NIT that will get underway this week. But the Big 12 did well in getting two teams as top seeds in their respective regions. Kansas, of course, in the Midwest, and Baylor out in the East. And the defending national champions find themselves with a pretty solid bracket. Kansas, going in, having won the conference title uh, over the weekend, finds themselves with an interesting bracket, I think. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. If you look at Baylor, let's start with them. Being a number one seed, basically, I think, if you look at their strength of schedule and results at 26-6 and with what they dealt with, uh, I felt like they were very much rewarded. I think how far they go certainly depends mm. on a couple of different things. But without Jonathan Chamwachachua, I don't know that they're going to have L.J. Cryer anywhere near 100%, but I would take him at 85 and think that they could advance a ways. Without him, it becomes a little more risky, especially when you look at that bracket. And I don't know what you think of Carolina or maybe a St. Mary's a UCLA, those types of teams, those are all pretty salty teams mm-hmm. when they're at their optimum level. I was just telling you off air, I think UCLA is underseeded mm-hmm. as a four. Uh, um, that Like Baylor, they had some injury issues too. They're starting to get more healthy. I hope Baylor does well for the Big 12's sake. I'm concerned, though, if Cryer is not at 100% because, I'll be honest with you, in my personal opinion, he's their best shooter. What I think colors people's view of UCLA, and specifically the committees, was uh-huh. probably the two losses to Arizona sure. were relatively large margins yeah. between basically the two top two teams in the conference. And I think that that may have colored what the committee saw in terms of where they seeded UCLA. But uh, yeah, depth to me is where Baylor can could really hiccup where they could really run into a problem, even though they're spread out over the weekends here and and you're not playing back-to-back days like a conference tournament, it still does take its toll. You know know how good UCLA UCLA is when they're a four and they're 25-7 and and they're being penalized for losing twice to Arizona. Right. Who I believe is the most talented team in the dance. I don't, especially in the front court. They are long. They are good. They are deep. Um, I, I think a lot of people will take them to the Final Four and mm-hmm. even farther. Um, but, but I again, I can't stress this enough. Baylor can go a ways if they're making shots and they get something out of Cryer. With Kansas, I would tell you that. In, and I haven't studied the bracket as much as I will tonight and tomorrow and, sure. and what have you. But because you've got to lay down your uh, your bets in Vegas. We understand this. <laughs> no, not me. But but it's it's very interesting to look at just in the Midwest. Think about it this way. Your top four seeds are Kansas, Auburn, Wisconsin, and Providence. Now, Wisconsin and Providence might not be the most talented teams in the field, but in terms of toughness and chemistry and depth and coaching and those kind of things, 
I think they will be factors. I think it will be hard for Kansas to get to the Final Four. I'm not saying they can't. I'm just saying it'll be a tougher road than some perceive it to be. Don't sleep on Providence. They're good. They're good, and Ed Cooley, as their head coach, has really, really made that program in his image. Yeah. As you mentioned, being hard-nosed, they definitely buy into that. They take pride with where they are. I, I think that that poses an interesting matchup for them as an opener against a South Dakota State team that wants to bomb threes all day. Well, talk about two different teams. <laughs> yeah, that's the beauty of this tournament, isn't it? With yes. with the difference in styles, and let let's talk about Texas Tech for a moment as a three seed, and what they look at. I mean, basically, they're looking at Montana State and then probably Alabama, mm-hmm. and then maybe Duke. I think they are more than capable of beating Duke on a, on a given day. Don't you? I do. Yes. I do, especially with the flaws that Duke has shown. I don't think it's a lock by any stretch, but I I think they got a pretty decent draw, and I think they deserve one. And then you've got TCU as a 9 and Iowa State as an 11. TCU, of course, with Seton Hall, that's a 50-50 game if there ever was one, right? Yeah. Yeah. The the one that the thing that stands out to me about the Iowa State game is that they match up with LSU, which yep. is in turmoil. Yes, you don't know how LSU is going to come out. For those who don't know, uh, head coaches fired yesterday. On, uh, yesterday, Will Wade. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it just absolutely floored everybody in the midst of tournament week. Actually, Saturday because I remember I was yeah, you're right. because was I was Saturday. I was at a birthday celebration yeah. for a five year old and a two year old. So <laughs> I, I do remember because I had Twitter going. There you go. But you know that's a bombshell for a program getting ready to play an NCAA tournament game, even as a as a six. That's a solid seed for LSU going in. Oh, for sure. Given the way that the SEC even played this year. That is a solid seed, and now they've had it all blown up because they not only lost their head coach, Will Wade, they lost their top assistant as well and now have to prepare for Iowa State, whom they've not seen. Yeah, and Iowa State has been up and down Mm -hmm. in the conference season. They were great early in the non-con, a little bit tougher for them in conference play, but that could be said for a lot of them, right? I mean, that's that's just the league. But I I really have to say this, too, about the – the bracket overall. I think generally speaking, we could nitpick a little bit and maybe complain Oklahoma should have been in or whatever. Generally speaking, I think this was as good a job as they've done in a while. Um, yeah, you're always going to have a couple of two or three, but I've always been one of those guys that if you're griping that your particular team didn't make it, Probably a, a game or two short, mm-hmm. and there's not much difference in it than that. That's the thing that is amazing about college basketball sure. and trying to bracket yeah. this is how slim that margin can be, yeah. and Oklahoma found out this weekend in their loss to Texas Tech. Yeah. And we mentioned A&M earlier. Buzz Williams is a friend mm-hmm. of mine. I was rooting for him. I'm not going to lie. And I, I think they are one of the best 50 or 60 teams in the country. Probably deserve to be in. But if you really seriously study it and you're fair, mm-hmm. the bottom line is their non-con was not good. 
Did you see the footage? It just was not good enough. Did you see the footage of him yesterday talking with Marty Smith at halftime? Yeah, it was great. Uh, that was tremendous. That was Buzz. Yeah. That was Buzz Williams at his best he's, right there. Yeah, he's one of the real entertaining personalities in basketball. Coming back, we will talk about the K-State men's coaching search. That when our second hour of Wildcat Insider comes your way next.